Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights here with Rich Klein. We're going to talk about his experience of selling out his whole table. In fact, more than his table. I've never been the seller of my whole table, but I've been the buyer of some whole tables over the years, actually 45 years ago. But still, great memories. <laughs> and we'll see what Rich's memory is on the selling side of it. But thanks, sponsors. Top Spinini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards. Comcy.com and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So, uh, Rich, how exciting was that for you? This was not a spur-of-the-moment decision, but but give us your thoughts because you love going to shows, uh, but you love roaming around, and you have a huge inventory. So what was going through your mind and any uh, seller's remorse? Just walk us through that, and welcome to the show. First, I actually had no seller. That whole day is still surreal because it was planned I promised the person I would sell everything, including my backup inventory. And I based it basically on how many cards that I have times X amount of cents per card. I've always looked at bulk lots buying and selling, how much per card. So I gave a number and I was amazed because this was the first time I'd ever seen this person with a mask on. And he comes to the show and I didn't recognize him because he had a mask on. And he stands up and he shows me the satchel with money in it. Oh, I guess we're doing this. Well, you mean he brought cash. So I'm sitting there saying, okay, I've got all of this cash. I'm getting out of Dodge so I don't blow it. <laughs> so the deal was prearranged. It was sort of prearranged, but I read the number. I didn't know whether he'd take it or not, and he took it. Well, his math was probably different <laughs> than yours because your boxes. One of the appealing things would be, and I don't think you had massive organization, but I think a lot of stuff was sleeved. It was penny Everything sleeved. was sleeved. Are you talking about what was inside your showcases too, or just yes. book boxes? Everything. Well, that's, that's a good deal. and I, It's I, a good deal for all concerned. Well, I mean, it was, and, you came up with the price. so and, and I realized I threw in basically the three tubs of, and they're not valuable, three tubs of sets that were in our sunroom. Right. And that's fine. That maybe knocked the price per card down a little. But again, I haven't used those tubs of sets for years. So it's like found money for things that are just sitting. And it was quite an interesting day because my ComC teammates, Angela and Stefan, come to the show and they call me like, where are you? And it's like, I sold out today. I'm at the and point. apparently some people at the show knew it, some didn't. I sold out and I paid Jericho, who works with Kyle for the tables. It was hard to just get out of Dodge without doing that. Oh, gee. And then I just run home. And that was a day. And we've talked about the synagogue show I've run. That was also the day about 45 minutes from here, the people were held hostage. Oh, in Colleyville. Yeah. Colleyville. Yeah. So I was having a really surreal wow. day. And we were toggling between the NFL playoff games and watching CNN doing wall-to-wall coverage of that. Yeah. And, and I had explained, no, I have nothing coming home with me. And it was like, oh, good. Thank goodness you got rid of your cards. Yeah, I'm still working on getting rid of the backup. But we got rid of some of them and more will go out a week or so. And the whole idea is I've done this before. Before I got married, I paid for my wedding by selling what I had. So it's not something where... I'm attached to it. And I still have one PC, which is my hobby collection of hobby people or Beckett people on cards. I still have many of the cards we did at the Beckett picnic in 1993. 
There's no complete checklist of that, but we know it's in the 600s. And I have some of those top cards from 92 that you and I are on. And I have a few other things that have What about your guys who went to your hometown or your high school or your- I kept a few of those. Most of those are gone. So I'm buying them again. It's so much fun. You just get to keep going and starting over. Was it appealing to the acquirer that you had a broad base of interest? Or I would imagine my recollection is a lot of it was baseball. But what was the appeal there? I think it's the fact that, as you said, everything is sleeved, everything is priced, everything was priced fairly. And there was a lot of good stuff and there's a lot of hidden gems in there. If you really look through what I had, you could really find bargains. If You didn't have to dig a ton, but you had to dig a little. Right. Well, I and mean, there I were mean, a lot of 10 cent cards, but then there were a, a lot of way better than that too. And it was- right. and- Interestingly, with the same show, our former teammate, Mark Anderson, sold out to a different person at the next table. And the person also later came to his house and purchased and pulled everything. And Mark kept all his artist sketch cards because he really loves those. So we kept a little something, both of us, which is really good. And you've bought tables. It's been a long time since you've bought out tables. You're buying collections again at times. When I did it based on mathematics. When you bought out a table, how did you figure okay, it out? Okay, let's discuss this because I'm glad you sold. You came up with a price and, and you're a lifer in the hobby. So I think we'll see where you are in six months or a year with some more stuff. But when I was buying, I, I never really sold because I thought it's a pretty big discount that you have to accept if you're selling all your stock because not everybody wants everything equally as much. But when I was buying, I tried to take that into account But when I came up with my price for what I was going to pay, I I came up with prices by segment. And I'm wondering if you did that too. I've done this even when I bought some collections. I I bought out a table at a show, even last show. But they show me what it is. And I'll either, whether it's box by box or kind of type by sport, or here's the stuff in the showcase. Here's the dollar box stuff. Here's the miscellaneous stuff. And so I would try to segment it. And for you, I'm wondering if you did that, did you think, okay, I got this bulk stuff and then I've got the better cards. I need this much for the bulk stuff and I, and I want to get this much for the, uh, the showcase cards. Same thing. And you've got these tubs of um, factory sets or whatever they are. Did you segment it or did you just- No, I just figured that that, for buying me out totally, I just figured X amount per card. Okay. I, well, don't, that was, that would I be, don't segment yeah. in those. However, there were- some customers, in fact, there was a customer who the last year or so has bought a lot of pre-70 cards from me. And we worked on a percentage and the, there were some of my better customers. I always work on X percentage. There was a customer, he would buy a lot from me. And we finally, we figured out after the second or third time, hey, this is the percentage I charge you. And he started looking through all my stuff, knowing exactly what percentage I was going to charge him. And then probably Okay, and then if it comes to let's say four hundred and twenty dollars, it'll be four hundred. We're not gonna we're not gonna do the twenty, or fifty six dollars becomes fifty. So okay. I sold a lot of my stuff based on percent of what I was asking. But in terms of bulk, I, I just did it the simplest way possible. Uh, I, I got know. you. I got you. Okay, but what I'm trying to say is that I wasn't a potential buyer for your stuff necessarily. But if I would have been. The ideal situation for the buyer is to find a willing seller who just has a price in mind. So my first decision, if it's you and me trying to make that deal, I find out what your price is. I quickly look over it. And the guy apparently did. He just said, that is acceptable. I'll bring my money. I'll see you at the next show or whatever you did. And and that's great. But sometimes the person says the price, and this has happened to me before, and I say, I don't know about that price. And so 
after he's given me the full price of everything, then I'm going to ask him to break it down. And when he breaks it down, I'm going to see, oh, here's where we're off in terms of what I want to pay and what he wants to get for him. And that's happened several times. In fact, it happened this last show where I was trading something with a pretty big dealer who had some stuff I wanted and I had some stuff that was in his wheelhouse. And so I said, well, I'll bring it, the stuff in tomorrow. And if we can agree on a value, it be trade value. And I don't expect to get dollar for dollar because he's got the expense of this is what it goes for. There's an equivalent cash of, of what it would be with very little work. And so when he gave me that price, his total price for my stuff, I realized we're not that close. And so I asked him, okay, now, how are you getting that? And when he did, I had a choice of either making a counter or just saying, I'm going to trade you this stuff that I think is valued to my liking, and I'm going to keep these cards that I think you're undervaluing. So I thought that's my last resort, but I'm just going to make him a counter offer. And he took my counter offer, you know, which was to split the difference. And so I'm just wondering, there was no countering with you. And again, that's ideal. Yes. But most of the deals I've made, I've made a counter. The other thing I did that is the opposite of your deal (laughs) is that the guy that I bought for a show ago that had a whole bunch of stuff, it was Sunday afternoon. He pulled me over. He said, hey, why don't you buy this stuff? I said, I really don't need that. I think this is the kind of stuff you like. Why don't you just make me an offer? I'm a terrible poker player. And I just was saying, I I don't really want this. I can afford it. The only way I would be interested is it was a really cheap price. And that's not fair to you. So I'm really being transparent, being honest. And he says, that's okay. (laughs) I said, just tell me what I'll entertain your price if it's reasonable. He said, well, I don't like to haggle. Here's what I want. And I said, well, I don't really want this stuff over here. If you're valuing that, he said, you'll do well with that stuff. He threw me at a price. I said, okay. (laughs) And so... We didn't have to haggle. And then when I got it home, I'm, I'm not going to do fabulous on it, but I'm certainly not going to lose money. And the key factor is I'm going to enjoy going through stuff that I wouldn't otherwise have purchased. And I've done that with a couple of guys now. The guy that's buying your stuff is is going to have, I won't say a lifetime of enjoyment, but there, you had a couple hundred thousand cards, I think. He's, he actually commented to me that even if he thinks he overpaid by X, and oh. without even looking at the backup, he says, I'm enjoying going through everything. Cry me a river. I'll tell you what, that's not. <laughs> no, he, he didn't ask for any money back. I want to stress No, that. you're not going to ask for any money back. But like I said, it, we're lifers and we love cards, but you had done so much of the work. And I think that's what's underestimated sometimes when you're buying or selling something. If I'm buying something from Huggins and Scott, which I bought some larger lots from them, if it has no organization, that really depresses the number of bidders. It depresses me too. On the other hand, I love cards. And uh, if it's really mixed up, then Huggins and Scott probably didn't go through it with a fine tooth comb because that's expense on their end. But your boxes were just enough mixed up that somebody could really have fun going through it. Exactly. It's funny because our mutual friend, Bo Spencer, One Million Cubs, has brought two huge, a huge pallets from Goodwill in the last month. And he's detailing on his uh, YouTube channel what it's like going through it. It's the same thing. He's Even though he's looking for the profit motive, you can tell he's enjoying the process. The other thing is just explain to me about your buyer, because one of the reasons I don't buy things is because I don't have a ready market to sell it to get the money back. So what is this guy's plan? Is he going to turn into you? Is he going to just put it out the same and annuitize it? Or is he going to bulk it out in some respects? Or what's his plan? Well, he just bought next door, but he's also an eBay seller. 
So he's already got multi-level ways of selling things. I expect to see some of the better things in the retail store. And I expect to see some of the bulk going through eBay. And I expect to see some of the stuff someday where I'm going to look at it again because it'll be wholesaled out. That's what I expect. I won't know. Okay. And I'm okay on that. I'm, I'm perfectly okay not knowing the cards are out of my life. And I will get cards back. I have sold, and I'm going to throw out the plug for the synagogue show. I have sold an office in the last year of cards. I have sold a storage unit of cards in the last year. I have sold, and this is all for the Brotherhood, several hundred dollars. In fact, almost another extra thousand <laughs> cards from my office. I currently have 300,000 cards in my office. You can get cards anytime you want. Okay. It is not an impossible. You may not get the 49 Leaf Jackie Robinsons every day but you may very well get cards. So I have never worried about finding cards. Okay, here's the $1,000 question. If you walk into Nick's next month and some of your cards are there, formerly your cards, you would know, and they were priced reasonably and attractively to you, would you buy back your own cards? Depends. <laughs> I've done that before. I have too. I have too. I, I did that back in the day three times with a 68 OPG Nolan Ryan rookie. Sold it, bought it at 25, sold it at 50, bought it at 100, sold it at 200, bought it at three, and sold it at six. At that point, it was like, okay, I've had enough. It was the same card. It's very exhilarating buying and selling a large group of cards that you've been through, like we said, you've picked out things that have sentimental value that you want to keep and the other stuff that just store stock, but you turn it into cash. Well, what's funny is I never knew until the deal is done and you sold a company. So you did this on a much higher level. Until the deal is done, you don't know. This was done on a Saturday noonish. Well, Thursday night, I bought cards from Ron and Rep Puck, who we both buy from. I actually priced some of them Friday. I was going to bring them on Sunday. <laughs> and I did very well with those cards. Except now they're not going to be mine. That's thanks, Rich. We, thanks for sharing your experience. And thanks, listeners. We'll revisit this, I think, at some point when Rich is farther down the river and uh, whether he's uh, back in 2023. I'm not really sure what the timetable is, but Rich is, is uh, a fixture at, at the shows and uh, really adds a lot of... Rich, you add to anything where you're there. It's, you make it a good time and you're helpful to people. So thanks, Rich Klein. can be back again tomorrow with another episode.